Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. What we're seeking to do alongside each of our chats with Lynn on addictions is to bring you someone for whom an addiction has been very real, very personal. Some of you may well recognise the name, the face and the story of my next guest from a fine SBS documentary from earlier this year, Once Upon a Time in Cabramatta. Tony Hwang is the son of parents who fled to Australia in the wake of the Vietnam War. He's one of ten kids. They settled in Cabramatta in Sydney. He joined a notorious gang and drug ring at 13 and was in jail within a year. It's quite a story, quite a life. Tony, welcome to Open House. How are you, Lee? Thanks very much. It's great to meet you. Tony, can I ask you for your memories of your early childhood, how your parents and their extended community settled into Australia? My memory of the past was very vague, but my earliest memory would probably be my father beating my mum. I remember a time where my mum came rushing into my room and after my dad's beaten her with uh, along alongside with my other sisters, I think I was about five or six years old. This will just be my memory of um, my father beating my mum, arguing, my parents arguing, coming home from school, and all I would hear was, would, we, would be arguments and often turned violent. And what I could make out what the argument was about was a lot of the time about money. It was a real struggle for many of that community to settle in Australia, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, having not speak the language, and, and I remember my father working as a painter for a Korean company, and and uh, even the Koreans didn't speak English, so you know he didn't speak Korean. So it was um, pretty difficult. What impact does that have on a six-year-old to see his dad beating up his mum? Well, having been the youngest boy, or having six older sisters at the time. He was my only role model as a as my reference point as a man. I guess what every young man needed is a father figure or someone to look up to, but my role model was basically a violent man. And that's how you ended up joining a gang, I suppose. Yeah, it led me just to want to be accepted, and that's what I found acceptance in a gang. What was that life like in the gang? Because you thought it was good at the time. At the time, I thought it was, was great. Having gone around eating for free, you know, knowing that you've got back up when you get into some trouble. In the beginning, it was pretty good, but that glorified lifestyle, things just started to go wrong where I had to um, do some things to to be accepted, things that um, no 13-year-old kid should do or even see. Like what? Putting people in hospital, doing things that, you know, extortions and... Beatings? Beatings, that of that nature, you know. And drugs were an integral part of that gang. Yeah, it, and started, that life. it started to come more more and more when uh, the money started flowing through. It came through Cabramatta at that time. Just money just got a hold of everyone. And so that's what caught my attention and I gave myself to that. And I guess that's what led me down to the other things that I've got involved in. And very quickly in jail. Yeah, and 14 years old quickly landed up in prison in a cell. What did that life in jail do for you? There was two sides because I was remember sitting in my cell thinking about my life and you know you're 14 years old what, what, what life you got. My only memory was dealing drugs and, and violence and so part of me was uh, I couldn't wait to come outside and, and show everyone that I didn't need anybody. 
because one thing you quickly realize is that who your real friends are when you're locked up yes. um, another side of me was come outside get your life together and make your parents proud so it was a bit of a struggle in between myself and so I spent a lot of time to myself thinking and left with my own thoughts and so when I did come out I was uh, confronted with two choices and and I guess that's where I made the dumb choice to continue on in that lifestyle I was introduced to at 13. And it got more and more serious. Yes. Yeah. I came out, I tried to go back to school. Um, no school would accept me. And so um, eventually what I did for the next seven years was deal drugs. And so at the age of 15, I moved out of home. I rented out houses. I uh, got heavily involved in uh, in the drug trafficking of big quantities and dealing to dealers on the street and, and whoever wanted anything. Anything I can get my hands on, I would deal. And I would make up to seven to ten grand a week at the age of 16. With your own drug habit again? Yeah, and that's what I came along with, with, um, with that. I had a lot of money, had a lot of things, but what I came along with that was a, a drug addiction. Heroin? Heroin it was, yeah. It started off with marijuana, but then he got, uh, went on to heroin. It only ever gets worse, doesn't it? It does. It does. You know, I had a lot of it, so I wasn't doing crime and everything to keep my head because I just had it. Um, I soon started um, injecting after four years which really destroyed my life. It took the lives of many of your friends as well, didn't it? Yeah, a very close friend at um, 16 years old. lost a very close friend. Another three would go in the next couple of years as well. So by the age of 21, I already had three friends murdered and three who were overdosed. Paint me a picture of what each day was like at the depths of that drug habit. I guess it was a struggle in a sense of waking up every morning knowing that you had to rely on this product from hell, this powder just to make you feel normal. It was depressing. It was it was something I woke up to where I didn't want anyone to see. On the outside, I, I painted myself to be someone that had it together because I had a lot of money had, a, had on, the, on the outward appearance. But inside, I was, I was just torn apart, having no hope, Having to rely on this drug day in, day out, it was ripping me apart. Did you have a desire to get off it? I did. Well, I guess every addict does. But uh, somehow the, the flesh has the better of you. Did anyone try to help you off it? They were verbally encouraged, but um, actually to facilitate that, my parents at one stage, other than that, I got no help. I guess it was just a struggle within myself. I knew it's something I had to do. You were still dealing at this time? I was still dealing at the time, yeah. And big money? Big money. It got, it got less and less as the years went on. Because you were less and less functional, I would guess. Yeah. So what would you do with each day when you were in the pits of it? I'll wake up. I had a pretty much a, a business mindset to you know w wake up at 9 o'clock, get all my drugs ready, you know, and just throughout the day, after having my fix and getting myself feeling normal, um, I'll go along the day dealing my drugs, and at night, you know, I'll switch off my phone at 12. During the day, it was just, it was sad. I had a lot of money, but it didn't, it didn't bring me no peace. It didn't bring me no joy. How did you escape the police? 
I guess I was so young. I always thought, um, even though um, I was young, they probably thought there was there was someone else that was behind it. Did you come close to losing your life? I have in many cases. Um, one time, um, being shot at inside of a club um, at 19 years old, where I witnessed a miracle right there. And from point blank range inside of a club, this guy took two shots at me and um, somehow, some way, it did not get me. So you mentioned a miracle. There came a time where at the depths of your drug habit, you cried out to God. Yes, I did. And so with, with that, there was a time where I grew up believing in God. I grew up a Catholic, I went to church every week, I was an altar boy, I had faith, and I went to church, drunk, stoned, scattered, and I knew it was the right thing to do, but I still continued to live this life, so between 17 and 22 years old, I was off heroin, I OD'd at 21 years old, which I relapsed, and it was then where I had enough of my life, and I thought about my life. If I continued on, I would end up dead or in jail. And so I went to my church where I was raised up. I was by this time I've been baptized three times. I had I was in searching for God in other religions, but I came to a place in my life where I bowed my knee at the altar when no one was around. I cried out to God and I asked God, "If you were there, then please give me a sign." Weeping and crying like a baby, I got up from there. I went home the next day. I was walking through Cabramatta. And there was the potter's house handing out their tracks. And uh, this guy gave me a flyer. And the flyer read, if you're looking for a sign from God, here it is in black and white. <laughs> and it was that day on the 8th of February 2004. He challenged me with the gospel. And, uh, you know, he made it from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And I gave my life to Christ and I was born again. And uh, never to be the same. That is miraculous. I mean, when you talk about a miracle, one day you ask for a sign, the next day you get it. Yeah. Yeah, my first um, ex supernatural experience. Yes, I, yes. I knew something was going on. Um, I was with my mates and they were like, don't listen to this crap. And I said, you don't know what's going on. You, you go uh, and, and uh, I need to deal with something. Just at that point, this guy challenged me with the gospel, how shared with me how Christ loves me and you know and I need to deal with my sin and for the first time everything started ringing true to me uh, I started uh, it's like arrows going straight into my heart and I felt the conviction of God and I knew even though I believed in God I wasn't going to go to heaven if I died right then because I did some bad things um, but for the first time you said pray with me in the middle of the street <laughs> I was like, you know what, God, this is between you and me. And so I prayed a prayer, which changed the rest of my life. Was it hard to leave the drugs behind? It was, and I'm not going to um, downplay that. It's a, it's a hard thing. But um, with the backing of heaven, you can do anything. And so it didn't happen overnight for me. I needed to make some hard choices, which meant to cut off some um, bad influences, to not to go to places that where I know that... Um, that's going to be there, or eventually I'm going to fall into that. And so just a bit of wisdom, not to not to go there, not to be friends with people, just to say, look, give me some time to find myself. Yes. 
and do that and so it didn't happen overnight but eventually looking and making that choice to say you know what I'm going to go clean here I am eight years later and I don't drink I don't smoke I don't swear I'm no longer bound to drugs gangs or addiction and you have four beautiful children yeah under five years old (laughs) (laughs) I mean it sounds ridiculous to say but life is not just good but great life more abundantly that's what it is and and that's what God has to offer and I, I never knew that I always thought uh, religion, uh, I was into rituals. But uh, the day I was born again, man, God gave me a new life and a life to its full. And your future? What's that look like? My future, I'm hoping to go into schools as a chaplain. And so if those doors open up, Fairfield wants me as a, as a youth worker. A um, couple of places uh, uh, want me as a chaplain. So if the, the government open these doors, then... I'm hoping to have major impact to the youth and, and through God and through only Him be the glory and, and uh, hopefully I can, I can have some impact in this generation and hopefully He can use my life. I dearly hope that happens. Tony, thank you so much indeed for joining us and sharing your story on Open House. Thank you, Lee. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.